Welcome back to the basement, boys and girls, fellow music lovers. Uh, we have one hell of a podcast for you here uh, on Chunky Glasses, the podcast this time out. I mean, it was Kevin, uh, as usual, and, you know, I, I almost, if it, if it hadn't just happened last night, uh, I almost can't believe that we uh, we got to do this. Uh, you know, we've been doing this podcast for about four years now, uh, running up very close to 200 episodes, which is a lot of fucking podcasts. Uh, in that time, we've talked to a lot of people, uh, touring artists, we talked to a lot of local artists, uh, made a lot of friends and acquaintances. And uh, two of those people uh, that we consider friends of the site are uh, one Louis Weeks and uh, one Chad Clark of Beauty Pill. And uh, so, you know, we wanted we we sort of been wanting to do something a little different. And uh, this opportunity presented itself. Basically, uh, how this goes, Colin Stetson, who you may know as an all-around badass saxophone player, uh, put out a remarkable uh, sort of trilogy of albums. Uh, one of my favorite albums last year was Sarah Newfold as well. Uh, he released earlier this year a reinterpretation of Gorecki's Third Symphony, uh, a symphony of sorrow, and um, and we've been wanting to talk about it for a while. But it's a heavy album. It's a uh, it, it, and, and it's it's hard, you know, to put this in the hands of saying, assuming you're an indie rock crowd or a rock crowd. Although I think you guys like everything, I don't know. Um, so how are we going to do this? And so I uh, reached out to uh, two of the smartest musicians I know and said, "Hey, hey guys, uh, Louis, Chad, uh, we've got this album here, and uh, I, I want to see what you want to see what you think about it." So, so if you got time, give it a listen, and uh, let me know if you have anything to say. If you do, why don't we uh, why don't we get together and we talk about it? Uh, so that's what we did, uh, Louis. And Chad joined us in the basement, along with Eduardo, who is always in the basement. <laughs> um, uh, that joke will never get old. Uh, but uh, and uh, had a had a, a scintillating discussion, uh, and one of the best I think we've had on this podcast, uh, digging deep into this this wonderful piece of music that uh, Mr. Stetson has has provided unto the world. Uh, so uh, that's what's going on. There's no news this week. There is no track at the end of this. This is just uh, us sitting down, talking with Louie and Chad, and um, about about music, basically. Awesome music. So, is that is that going to be good enough for you? Are you hooked now? Or are you reaching for the you're reaching for the off? You're going to jump over to Nerdist or what the fuck? Uh, I think you're probably hooked. So uh, and good. Um, so I guess here we go. This is episode number one hundred and eighty-two of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. We're sitting down with Louis Weeks and Chad Clark uh, from Beauty Pill to discuss Colin Stetson's latest sorrow. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man Merely a two-word review. He just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up and go to the That right there is a wonderful sound. Check. Check. Alright. Uh, basically, we're just gonna break down this album. 
Yeah. So how you feel about it? It sound good? Yeah. Can absolutely. it be broken down? I don't know. Yeah, that's really the question. <laughs> that, that actually that, brought the like sheet music. music. <laughs> I didn't finish. Music. That, that, actually, that's a good, very good question, Eduardo, because that's why we have these two gentlemen here, uh, Mr. Clark. Good to Thanks see you. Thanks for having me. Chad Clark from Beauty Pill. Uh, Mr. Louis Weeks, Hello. you've also been in this basement before. Yes, good basement. Uh, as, I was, as I was explaining to you upstairs, this is sort of an experiment because, uh, you know, we usually sit down here and just get drunk and yell about albums. Uh, but this particular album is by a guy who made an album uh, that was one of my favorites last year, actually hanging around with you guys in the year-end best list. Um, talking about Colin Stetson and... Um, you know, he has always made what would you say unconventional albums? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, saxophonist or kind of or, lived or, in an interesting cultural space, right? Because he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't exclusively traffic. You know, he's not just doing shows with like Oliver Lake or David Murray or like jazz, right? Or you know, he's like indie rock kids know him, which is oh, yeah. I think it was yeah. a, a deliberate choice. And that's interesting. Yeah. To and me. and being playing with Arcade Fire will do that to you, right? Yeah. Well, there <laughs> so, you have it. Uh, in fact, the album last year was with uh, Sarah Newfold from Arcade Fire, right. violin players. Interesting thing about that album, uh, which I don't know if this that was this album uh, too, but all that was one take. Wow. The whole thing. That's so bananas. Like, th- that was the point of it. There, everything's one take. If if mics could capture looks of <laughs> incredulity, <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say if mics could capture one take. <laughs> it is impossible. Um, but so so because he doesn't ever rest on his laurels, he plays on everything he's played on your album, Chad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he played on God. I looked up what he always played on, and it's just endless. Like the it's guy, Tom I mean, Waits. If, yeah, Tom Waits. Yeah. TV right. on the radio. Yeah. Like, if you think you don't know this guy, chances are he's on an album that you really yes. love. Yeah. So. And, and if you uh, pay he's attention, real deal if you pay sure. attention to All Sons Considered, you've seen Bob go on and on and on about him. Uh, especially back when uh, what was the uh, first album? Got it here, uh, or the first album that he picked up on uh, New History of Warfare mm-hmm. came out. He mm-hmm. was like, he saw him. I remember he saw him at a, I think U Street Music Hall. At some point, and it was just all you saw was just Bob losing his shit. <laughs> like, oh my god, this guy's amazing. Uh, so what he has gone and done now, um, rather than do an indie rock record, rather than do uh, something in the vein that he was doing, although it might be a little bit, uh, is sort of reinterpreted one of arguably the 20th century's most uh, I don't know if popular pieces. Certainly right popular. It? Yeah, uh, talking about Gorecki. also great. Also great. Talk about Henrik Gorecki's uh, Symphony Number no. Three. Uh, it is. I looked al- this up. It's Gorecki. 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 Is it really? Yeah, it's okay. Polish. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not like I've been saying Gorecki, and that, like, yeah. that's I probably will continue. <laughs> can't, can't we just be right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I withdraw my uh, correction. Guys, uh, all, all my notes say Gorecki. So, uh, <laughs> he spelled it out. He's phon- lost. He spelled it out phonetically. <laughs> I think I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> um. This was um, recorded in the or conceived in the early seventies. I think recorded in the late seventies. Um, Symphony of Sor- Sorrowful Songs, uh, and this sort of was, if you look up the history of this guy, a crossover point from his earlier work was very dissonant, uh, and this was moving into more like tonal, consonant, you know, right. consonant and and uh, more palatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, uh, it is split. He into made a big th- hit, huh? It's a big hit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I was looking at an interesting thing about this that is a big hit because of the timing of CDs, which we can talk I about. Be- I believe that because I have, I remember buying this. I'm like, 
definitely one of the large number of millions that bought this on CD. Right, right. But but you remember, I mean, these kids won't. <laughs> right. <laughs> you remember yeah. when CDs first came out and it was yes. like the, it was like what the shit is this and then you heard it and you're like this is so crystal clear and everybody went out and bought classical stuff mm-hmm. and then Dire Straits and it was I just... bought this at Olsen's Records. Oh wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so you even know awesome. where you bought it. Yeah, I do. I remember. <laughs> um so, uh, so split into uh, three movements, uh, all of them dealing uh, with a little bit with uh, Mary, uh, as in Mary, Mother of Jesus, um, in in different sort of uh, time periods. Uh, the the piece in general is I, I listened to a London Symphony uh, performance that you know it's it's standard instrumentation for the most part. It it uh, has a lot of cannons in it, a lot of rounds. Um, but for this, um, he's replaced some of that. And I think I want to start with the most uh, interesting replacement being the drums, which is what we were talking about, Louis. Yeah. Um, the piece is heavy as is. Like if yes. you're talking about the original thing. The whole, I feel like the whole, I mean, like not. Latin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I feel like the whole um, trick, and I'm using air quotes for yeah. those of you who are not sitting in front of me. Um, <laughs> the whole like magic trick of this piece, certainly the first movement, is that it slowly overwhelms you. Um, you start to think, like, you start to recognize like what is happening as it right. sort of gathers itself like a billowing mm-hmm. cloud. And then, um, and then you, you actually start to think, I can handle this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, like it's like water rising at like a flood. Yeah. Like, all right, I'm not going to drown. I'm not going to drown. And then it just starts to really gather this kind of violent, frightening, um, dark, you know, syrupy quality um, that really does make you feel like, shit, I better turn this down. Or like, you know, like it's almost, right. I mean, if you, if you feel music, if you, if you listen to music and you feel it, I feel like this is something that could easily kind of take you under like, like undertow. Kind it can of give way. you nightmares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when that soprano comes in, uh, and soprano, soprano is like throughout the entire piece. And for me, it was actually the most jarring, uh, part of it because I mean, I, my background is actually classical and we didn't perform with like singers at all. And so that still is a little to my ear. Uh, it doesn't quite lock in with what I know in there. And, by the time that kicks in in that first movement, it is sort of a, a like, uh, okay, this shit just got real heavy. And yeah, I, and I, I better strap in or I need to bail out. Yeah, and it's a Holocaust yeah. work, which I don't know if you've said yet, but I feel yeah, like that's like the most. I didn't actually understand exactly what that meant in terms of listening to it at the time. I remember just someone telling me like, this is this is about the Holocaust, which mm-hmm. is like you know, there is no heavier topic. Um, and, uh, and so like as the emotion and as the overtones are kind of like gathering themselves and sort of overwhelming you, you know, that the, the sorrow at the core of it is, is a real thing, like as a real Mm -hmm. horror. I think also like one of, one of the things to me that makes it so like adds to the immediacy of it and makes it so incredibly powerful is like it's to my ear the total absence of um of allusion like it there aren't really stylistic uh, 
tropes that are being deployed. Mm-hmm. Right. It's you know it's mostly late medieval early Renaissance mm-hmm. um, harmony. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess you, you could say that that's a um, an allusion, but it's like the building blocks of harmony right. that are being deployed. And there's something like incredibly um, uh, immediate about yeah, that. Physical, yeah, physical in in a way that um, if if there were to be allusions like uh, or tropes de- that are deployed. It would kind of remove it from a kind of physicality, yeah. I think, and it would make it more of a, a heady piece as opposed to like a, mm-hmm. um, um, a heart piece. Yeah, a heart piece. Yeah. yeah. Well, it it puts you on notice. I mean, right at the beginning when you hear him breathing as he's playing the opening mm-hmm. lines. I mean, I think that was the moment where I was like, oh, this is going to be a little bit different. Like there's and there's and you hear that there's an actual human body laboring behind the sound. You know, that yes. instantly just mm-hmm. roots yeah. it. Well, that that gets to like I think a a key difference between the two recordings and like a fundamental up difference of approach, which is that in the ninety one, you know, Don Upshaw recording, mm-hmm. um, it's orchestral recording is kind of I think by its nature, um, it um, obscures individuality in the ensemble. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, what you're getting, I mean, you know, like also a built yeah, that, totally. Right. You yeah. know, like Chad, like you said, it's it's like a cloud. Um, those strings, um, and so you know, it's it's very I think hard. It, it it's its effect is like one of a gathering, like you said. Yeah. But with the Stetson piece, um, those are all those instruments are close miked, um, yeah. and and that is a radical shift in approach. Yes, and it makes it about individuality. Well, um, and then also like it's like a theme of his of everything he does. Mm-hmm. Respiration. Yes is like a big like whether i mean it seems to me like a deliberate thing that he's been like exploring throughout all these records is like you have to think about breathing i don't play horns i don't even i don't i mean i don't i don't i, I don't know what he's, it would be like to get to the level of mastery that colin stetson yeah is. and he's doing cir- circular breathing like to achieve a lot of this uh yeah. but even like on on the uh, never were the way she was from last year uh using that breath as percussion Using uh, the keys on his instruments as percussion Mm -hmm. and doing all these like things that you just normally wouldn't think of um, for this piece add to me it adds to the dread. I mean, there's you can hear clacks, yeah, in Mm -hmm. this that is just like the beast crawling up from the Mm -hmm. abyss, yep, like coming for you in in your worst moment of despair. It's like oh, you thought you were down, but no, yep, now you're you're gonna get dragged down a little further now. I don't know if I'm thankful or resentful that I've been listening to this a lot for the past week when it's just been so dark and so dreary and rainy here. Like on the one on the one hand, it's really helped align my inner mood with the outer landscape. But man, it's a pummeling too yeah, <laughs> when you're sometimes. listening to this well, once a day. Yeah, I mean, if you take it seriously, right, right, yeah, absolutely. It, it requires, I think, yeah, maybe this is totally wrong. I think possibly that the Stetson recording requires more of a buy-in. From the listener, okay. Than the ninety-one, uh, than the upshot recording. Think, I think because it's more personal. Is that... um, I think it's because uh, these are textures that um, require more suspension of kind of. Some people might find it off-putting. Yes, you know? absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny or to hear gross. you say. Yeah, it's funny to hear um, you say that it's it's uh, it's upsetting or or because you know I think. Sometimes, um, you know, 
basically like I hear it and I'm like, oh, look at listen to the overtones. Yeah, you know, but it's like creepy to some people. Yes. Um. Yeah. And and so like the de- the deployment of like really rich bizarre harmony, um, is like can be upsetting to people. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think it just by that virtue alone, like the Stetson recording, um, you know, the textures that are used, it's mm-hmm. like it it requires more. Uh, is, is, there, is there? Is the, there? I don't think it will sell as much. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I, I, we're, we're going to get to that. I wish. Him, we're, yeah, like, we're, we're, gonna, we're definitely get, we're gonna, definitely going to get to that, yes, and that's sort of but, why we're doing this podcast. Um, we're going to send this shit to the charts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> up the charts. <laughs> um, so, so, and, and we've talked about this uh, on on you sat on that couch and talked to me about this about the physical effects of music on a person. To your mind, knowing what you know about music construction, Louis. Uh, is there like a formula to this that either Gorecki or uh, no, we're saying it right. We'll, we'll get back to that. <laughs> uh, that that Gorecki uh, and Jif, um, uh, you know, is, is deploying or is this one of those like happy accidents that this is happening? Well, oh, I don't, I don't think anything about the harmony is an accident. Um, I think that that's one of the one of the things I. I think is so smart about the piece. And one of the things that was so controversial about it at the time mm-hmm. was um, the, the stepping away from serialism and the deep dive into like the building blocks of harmony through modes. Um, and, uh, and, and modes essentially, those are the things that make stacked harmony, mm-hmm. which is how we as contemporary pop listeners, that's what we hear when we hear a, a five chord. We're hearing like 500, 600 years back into the future. We're hearing four-part modal counterpoint lock in at a certain moment to create a five chord. Um, and so, like, I, I that that to me, if that I don't know if that answers your question, but that's the physicality, right? Like, we have this this association with how a chord makes us feel, um, and it's uh, for a lot of types of music, you know, for you know a lot of types of Western music, it's based on um, these modes mm-hmm. and and so what's just so like unbelievably moving yeah. about about the Grecky piece is it's just like it's really really nicely done counterpoint it um, also seems i i know less about music than than you do like i have less uh un- formal understanding of music but it strikes me that uh that it introduces complexity uh at in a very low register where like the more yes. mm-hmm. absolutely the, the the conventional idea is that you know the higher up in uh scale you get the more you can get away with uh rubs and dissonances and and uh and and that's actually what I, sort of what I, w- I was asking right. you about is is if there's a formula because well, definitely Stetson's take and, and I, I think whether or not any of us here know it we probably don't I think there probably is I think there's it's it ends up at some point being math. You're using these modes to put together, and this thing will, you know, with, yeah, it has Stet- like with extra Stet- quality. Yeah, well, with yeah, with Stetson's take, I could see this being like the thing in a movie that unlocks the gate to hell. Like you have to play these things in the right thing. And I'm being serious. <laughs> I mean, you know, not back to the not back to the dragging you down thing, but it it is, and and it's going to be a huge hit. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to drag everyone Nick to hell. Cage is back, motherfuckers. Have you <laughs> always wanted the the key to the gates of hell. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> just play this on the organ. Yeah, it's like the Goonies. The Goonies the did Goonies. something exactly like that. Yeah. I, I actually think if if anyone is listening out there and is planning to reshoot John Borman's Excalibur, <laughs> take out take out all of the Wagner yes. and use this instead because well, it's going to sound righteous. They've used this in films. Yeah. Right. 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 In in basically to indicate, hey, here comes the dread. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a cliche in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, people use it as a signifier for like, uh oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of that's kind of annoying. I need that on my phone it. now. Like, Shit's going down. Just hit it. Like, uh oh. Um, so, um, Louis, you said earlier that you like that that this sounds devoid of illusion, and right. I should have clarified that. I think that. The, the Gorecki piece. And that, that's like something uh-huh. that the Stetson piece, it's all about, I think, through the use of, maybe not all about, but it seems to me that you can't avoid with the instrumentation that he's added, making some idiomatic illusions. I don't know if that's what you Yeah, mean. no, and that, and that was exactly what I was going to ask is, is I, I feel like this album has gotten um, a, uh, probably the correct, almost the correct amount of press. It's been generally well-reviewed by a lot of important... Um, vehicles, but I, I don't. I haven't read a review that I particularly agree with because they all seem to kind of be pandering to non-classical music fans and saying, "Hey, kids, this can be mm-hmm. just like your explosions in the sky or, or your Godspeed or whatever." Um, is one take, and then the other take is like, you know, so to the percussive um, element is this idea that like, oh, well, this is the first time that doom metal and classical idioms have cooexisted in the same piece which is yeah but to be fair that's just ripped from the pr thing like literally that's that's in that's in the the press release so so uh i mean i'm glad i didn't see any of that because that would have been a turnoff for me yeah 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 Uh, it yeah it it ruins my life regularly (laughs) (laughs) um and i'll never show you your pr release (laughs) oh man Um, yeah don't get me started um you know uh it it like to that matter, like as far as classical music goes, I mean, look, this instrumentation pulls you more into the indie rock world. I mean, that that's just mm-hmm. it has the potential. But even going back, like through history, like this stuff was classical was like pop music, and it's something that we ignore now, and we put it over here. And if you if you use strings, Louis, if you use you know a harp or whatever, people are like, oh, that's fancy. Instead of it just being like building <laughs> up through the history of music and coming forward. So for that, I think, uh, and this falls in line with everything Colin Stetson has ever done. Uh, it may be the most palatable thing he's ever done because it takes this piece that everybody you know, if you take a basic you know intro to classical class. You know, you just have to get rid of in college uh, that everybody should know. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, I like this. My interest in that whole spectrum of instrumentation, of orchestral, uh, like, messing around with classical idioms or uh, classical instruments actually comes from being told not to. Right. Uh, and for me, it's like a punk thing. Like... It's like a middle finger. Um, Like my attraction to it was like, this is something I'm not supposed to do. Right. Um, So, yeah, I have like, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you describe the, the, you know, the lack of uh, idiomatic reference and all that stuff. Like I wouldn't have picked up on that. I don't have that kind of sophistication as a listener or as a 
or as a creator. Um, but uh, I, I, I am definitely the person, if you want, like, I am definitely going to feel mm-hmm. a piece of music. Like, I'm st- definitely, like, as I was, I was listening to this in the car on the way here. And I and I found myself actually I'm a little bit critical of it as a recording, because um, <laughs> it uses a lot of limiting. Yeah, I mean I, I, yeah, no, I'm, no, no, I'm no. a yeah, you, you, recording you, engineer by yeah. trade, um, and this record uses a lot of limiting, kind of rock style limiting, um, in the in the mastering process. You yeah. can tell that there's a brick wall, and it's kind of mastered in a way like a rock record. So it hits a ceiling, and it's just it the way that it overwhelms you is with saturation, mm-hmm. as opposed to dynamics. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> but I uh, I still think it's just completely overwhelming and amazing. I, I yeah. Do we think that's intentional? Like again, getting because I you know I'm, I'm pushing a little more into like the where this is gonna stand now in you know if pitchfork culturally is, yeah mm-hmm. culturally and you know. That can either be uh, intentional because you like how it sounded, like all the like the cocaine treble of the eighties, uh, or that can be intentional because he knows that that's how people hear stuff. Yeah, I feel like he's kind of like there's a aspect of his shit which is like just feels like fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a there's a real like punk energy. Like if you see him live, like there's this kind of like. It's raw. It's like a. It's, it's like, Minutemen or I don't know. It's like something, really. It's not a frou-frou or delicate. It's very like, physical and, um, and and uh, like atavistic. Like it's it's, just heavy and, not not not. Yeah. You know, he's not. It's not that intellectual to me. Um, I I wanna. I wonder to- how aware he is of where he is. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's 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 do this. I want to play a little bit of the third movement um, that gives you an idea of what that what that is for people who haven't heard this yet, and then mm-hmm. we're going to come back to that. So this is the uh, the third movement of uh, Sorrow.
that opens a whole another like can of worms. Um, like, what role does recording play, like in this piece? Yeah. Because you know when the the seminal um, recording of this, the the Upshaw piece came out, like it it was a you know I don't know for sure, but mm-hmm. you can you can guess that there were mic trees picking up the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, you know, who knows? It's right. a, that is an, ex- I haven't heard it in a while, but it is an exceedingly dynamic recording. Uh, yes. Like it's the opposite of this. Yes. Um, and it's, and also just the, um, uh, I, I think that when you have, uh, an ensemble, mm-hmm. um, like the original, uh, that changes the perception in a drastic way musically i'm not talking like um referentially mm-hmm. uh when and it changes the recording in a drastic way when you have the stetson ensemble i noticed it changed it really fucked with the way i thought the form of the piece was right because in the uh upshaw recording for me it was like the first movement is a ramp up yes and a ramp down yeah. exactly mm-hmm. right but in the Stetson, it's like, that's not how I felt it at all. <laughs> no. I felt it's all about entrances. Yeah. This is when this enters. This is when this huh. enters. Yeah. It's, it's, disor- it's disorienting. And, and that's, to be fair, that's how the canon is constructed yeah. in the piece. It's all about entrances. But when you have a room mic and when you have a big ensemble. And when you have room to get louder. Yes. That's true. I mean, that's the thing that I, I keep, I'm sorry to keep harping on, but. That's that feeling you had of escalating to a peak mm-hmm. and then coming down from it. Yep. Um, this thing just gets quickly sort of starts throbbing and then it hits the point of saturation. And then it hits this point of like uh, almost exponential saturation. Mm-hmm. And then it pulls back from that. Um, that's their choice. That's an artistic choice. I, it's one I probably would have. Um, I would have wanted to question if I was in this session, I would have been a little bit of a pain in the ass. Like, why do we have to do this? Right. Um, which is why it's good that they didn't hire me. <laughs> um, well, on, on occasion on this podcast, I think we try to um, uh, imagine uh, music listeners who aren't like us and who maybe you know, it's when we sort of wonder like who listens to Pandora, like, Oh, it's pe- people, there are people who, who experience yeah. music differently and who really want the lean back thing. So this is not a good take, and I'll apologize for that uh, up front. But a lot of uh, people who I think fit that mold, I think, want to listen to classical music in theory. They maybe want to have it on while they're at work or doing something else, yeah. and they like the idea of it. And I've heard a number of them say, and they don't know that same, they're... Same with jazz. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I don't know that they know that this is what they're complaining about, but what they're saying is like... Um, the dynamic range on the recording is annoying because I have yeah. to keep reaching over and I, I have to, you know, the quiet parts are too quiet, the loud yeah. parts are too loud, it's distracting to my cubicle mate or the person in the office next I to me that. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so from that standpoint, in theory, this is a recording that should be more palatable to that sort of audience yes. who really just wants the like the total lean back, you don't have to touch it, you don't have to worry about what you're missing during the quiet parts, etc. Yeah. I don't know that that, I can't... I. I doubt that that was really what was happening, but I did, I think when Kevin and I were G-chatting about this, I said, you know, it does solve one of the typical lousy 
uh, barriers that I hear people using as why they're not into classical music more. Sure. But mm-hmm. if, if you, do you guys think if you played this for somebody and didn't tell them a thing about it, you think they'd think it was Mogwai? I think they'd think it was a film score. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I think that because that's, I don't know Mogwai at all. That's the type of harmony that um, film has, uh, has kind of um, saturated the contemporary listeners um i think ear with yeah uh, mm-hmm. specifically and then mixed with that instrumentation um I, I think that people think that this is a a really intense art art film mm-hmm. um and also i think because because of the entrances thing i think that every every textural move and every like entrance um i think signals uh or could potentially signal a type of like um thematic or uh programmatic yeah yeah move. Yeah, yeah and i think that that is is like might evoke hmm. a f- like a filmic um thing yeah yeah what well, what do you guys think is happening in the first movement what is the what is the title of the first movement the the title of the first movement is uh uh sustenuto tranquillo me cante i i don't speak italian or or polish so um and it is a uh, late 15th century lament of mary uh, from a piece called the uh, the Segura songs, so this is an old Polish like tradition. All, all these things are old Polish traditions, um, and uh, they all are are basically separation of a mother from her child, uh, which you can see as I mean the the metaphor there is just whatever it's wide open. <laughs> it can be anything, um, and then the. Uh, Lento e Largo, uh, Tranquilissimo, uh, is specifically uh, about a message written on a wall uh, in, the, in the Gestapo. Right. That's the Holocaust. That's yeah, that's, that's the Holocaust, Holocaust thing. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing is a Holocaust piece. This is like taking the past and history of, of Poland at that time uh, into that. Uh, and uh, something I, never, I hadn't thought of. Like, I wonder, um, you know, when Colin Stetson... Uh, was talking about this particular album said this was the thing where he was like I'm going to do music because he was studying music but it, this was the first thing he really latched into oh, and I was like that's this and this is then he's like this So this is, is like a returning to his roots yes, kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. This is something he has always wanted to do since he he he, he fully committed to like doing this for his life. Uh, and he did that in that's school cool. I think up in Michigan. Um but I'm wondering, like, what connection he has to, like, the Holocaust. If there's family or, if, uh, you know, Polish. I, I don't know. And we're not a facts-based podcast, so, uh, you know, we, we won't apologize for not looking that up beforehand. Uh, we'll look it up after, though. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. And then feel terrible. Right. Yeah, no. Yeah. And, dude, that's happened so much. It's like, we, like, we didn't – we literally because uh, – I don't even know why. We – completely spaced on that uh, Iggy Pop and David Bowie worked together. <laughs> that, I, I don't know how that happens, but it happened. And we were like, okay. I got a, I got a snide tweet or two about yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, so back to the, the my theory about this, uh, you know, in the in the Nick Cage movie a little bit. Another weird... Another, another weird Please stop saying that. Okay. Does it have to be Nick Cage? No. <laughs> be a Johnny um, Depp horror movie? Okay. Uh, yeah, Ninth Gate. Yeah, right. I guess worked. that is yeah. an upgrade. Was that Polanski? Yeah. yeah. It was Polanski. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this whole piece is meant to be 27 minutes in duration. 
the first movement equals the combined length of the second and third movement. So mm-hmm. modes and patterns on patterns on patterns locking in. I think it's also a, um, I, I, I think it, it, that that's a very smart, um, like configuration, uh-huh. a kind of accelerating towards an ending. I think listeners yeah, yeah. Um, recognize that as something is coming to an end that, um, you know, bursts, um, that things kind of start to get, if it was reversed, I think it would be very, it would feel wrong. Like if, if oh, the yeah, first yeah, two yeah, movements yeah. were shorter and then the second and the third was twice as long as the first two, I think there wouldn't be a sense of an ending in the same sense. So would that be like the, the uh, last track on like an album, like the 15 minute last track jam I don't on know, a rock yeah. album? But it's or, also, or the opposite of that. Yeah. yeah. Or, or the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I have to wonder like how that works on you in addition to the harmonies, uh, just that structure. I mean, we're the way we, you know, Chad, you've talked about feeling music and we all feel it differently and we all digest it and process it differently. But I think those things like down to like little milliseconds affect that. And there's like some weird truth somewhere hiding in there that this stuff is going to work on us in a certain way. And I, and sometimes I don't like that because I'm like that even if the composer didn't realize that, that's manipulative as fuck. By the universe, <laughs> I uh, I remember going to going to the Holocaust Museum for the first time, uh, and you know, I knew what I was getting into right. in theory. I was with my friend um, uh, Deb Travis from New York City. I don't know why I'm giving you her specific name because <laughs> it's not relevant and you don't know her. Um, but I just remember that we went into the. Uh, we went into the museum and uh, it worked in a similar way to the way this piece worked yeah. where I went in thinking, okay, I know, I know this is a lot, there's a lot of misery and um, violence and horror that I'm about to see and I'm ready for it. I get it. I'm like prepared. I'm an adult. And then when you really, really just take it in, like if you're human at all, it, it has to overwhelm you. If you like, right? There's just no way to, and you're like, I can't take it. And I remember like we exiting and we were like stumbling out, and like very much like like it was something out of like some dream. Like ah, mm-hmm. get a like must get out, you know, kind of thing. Um, and that's the way. To to its credit, uh, Collins, as much as I might bitch about the recording technique or whatever. That's to its credit. I feel like this uh, first movement captures that sensation of like I can't take it. I thought I could take it, and I can't take it. Do you think that the piece as a whole eventually like lets you down? Okay, or do you think it uh, just leaves you hanging? I still, I'm gonna be honest. When I think of the like what made it a huge hit, I do feel like it is the first movement. Yeah. Like I feel like that's it's that actually it's it's the like the magic of the very first sensation that you get that you're wading into uh quicksand kind of like uh that kind of the exact the exact quality I've been mm-hmm. saying. Like yeah. I think that that is what made this a, a huge hit. 
is people going, whoa, I didn't know music could do that. And that's that's actually, I think, one of the, my favorite things about, like, I'm not even a, I'm not a big My Bloody Valentine fan. Yeah. Some people are. Join the club. Um, uh, but I do feel like um, they introduced some actual, like, like gestures that made you go, Oh, I didn't even know you could do that. I right. didn't know music could do that. Right. I didn't know guitars could do that. That's cool. You know, yeah. I feel like that's what made this, uh, it's like the early gestures of the way this gathers and the mathematical quality and the kind of like murky kind of cloudy quality, mm-hmm. I feel like is what made it a hit. So I actually don't really think about the second and third movements that much. Yeah. And, and I think, I think honest. the way the first movement, is approached here is is the one where it feels like there's the the you know the the departure is the smallest so it's not you know there are the instrumentation is you know you do have an electric guitar on the first movement here but it's not as front and center as it was on the third movement um that Mm -hmm. we just listened to and so i think that it's it's probably um i think that supports your point chad that it that you know the 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 first movement here is the one that was approached with a certain degree of, of reverence. And then after that, it was like, well, now that we've established that we can do that and we can sort of recreate that with this different instrumentation, we're going to take a few more liberties in the next two. I personally, this is my, again, like my personal aesthetic. I don't really have much interest or fascination with doom metal or anything right. like that. Right. <laughs> like that's just not my zone. And I don't find it to be intriguing or like, cool basically <laughs> um yeah well i mean and that, that goes to like any like there's certain things that like you just don't relate to yeah yeah exactly it's not my culture <laughs> yeah i just you know um so the aspect of this where it starts to uh kind of court that kind of vibe is a is kind of a turn off for me okay um but i still think it's radical that he's taking the, this source music and transposing it into that kind of world, I still think it's cool. Yeah, I feel weird. I have, I'm just going to say this whole about this whole thing. I feel weird. I'm saying this right into the right into the <laughs> microphone. I feel weird criticizing Colin Stetson for two reasons: because he's a genius, that's one, and two, I have worked with him, mm-hmm. uh, and he's a super super cool guy. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful session working with him, and. I don't, yeah, I don't, I basically, number one, I don't feel, um, I think more critics should think like this, actually. Yeah. I don't feel qualified to be telling Colin Stetson what to do. Yeah, and well, I don't think you are, and I don't think, I don't think we're actually criticizing. We're trying to, like, me personally, and, like, again, I, I hear I'm very affected by stuff, like, that I hear. I was affected by your album. I was affected by your album uh, on a very, like, like, root level. And this was, you know, I had it on last Friday. I work from home on Fridays. I just sit up there, and the house is empty, and it's me and the cats, who Gus is down here now. Uh, and uh, I don't think either of you have heard my stereo system. It, it, it goes big. <laughs> and it just, it fills our, our wooden-floored house with sound. And it was shaking. And, all, and I was, like, in the middle of this thing. And I'm like, yeah, like, I now need to know where this came from. I need to know more about where Colin Stetson is coming from, what he can do with all this stuff. And and why and why? Like why why this and why I truly wish the world were filled with more people like you. <laughs> Thanks. That's that's you know, a genuine statement. Uh you know, but why 
th- why why this why because this is out in front of people now we're talking about it we're doing it because i want people to be talking about it because i think it's like it's one of the more important things we have going forward indie rock is crashing uh rock is crashing you know some people say music is crashing in general and to avoid getting into this trap of like we're just gonna make what sells we're gonna uh we're just gonna try statements well (laughs) yeah almost started with that uh yeah um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to do sales tricks like that if you if yeah. we want to frame that talking about the yacht thing, and this exists in in a way, um, and it's not at all the same music in the same way for me at least that like uh, to Pimp a Butterfly did to Beyonce's album did. It's just this motherfucker of a thing hanging out over here that mm-hmm. maybe I don't want to visit it all the time because honestly, it does make me feel uncomfortable. I like the second and third movements because I need the letdown. I get you. Because I, I get so yeah. fucking worked up in that first, and I'm just like, oh my God. One thing that like throws a wrench in the works. Yeah. I, I think that um, based on the very limited like research I've done about the piece and you know what um, I was able to find, this the last part of the last movement is the thing that really offended people. Yeah, um, the Which fact is that it was uh, one chord for <laughs> like five minutes, or you know, however long it felt like a long time, like mm-hmm. a really long, like that is, it was like very offensive to the avant garde. So did it offend the, the avant garde community, to- the classical community? Or is that? Yeah, I mean, I, who knows? I, I just, I, I think it's interesting that, um, uh, I think like we all in the room have talked about like the, the Mm -hmm. first we like really identify with the shape. I think it's kind of, um, a testament to, uh, just the route that minimalism took in like our lives. Yeah. Um, that like we can hear the last movement and be like, yeah, 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 cool. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I I get it. I get it. I'm a modern person. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, but like, um, I think back then, uh, you know, in the mid seventies, yeah. in Poland, and based on the the limited things I've read, it was like that was the up the offending um, musical contribution. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the the departure from serialism was the thing that really pissed a lot of people off. Mm. Um, and and it's well, in, how in a lot of ways, is that? It's in, a lot, so in a lot of ways, I think <laughs> like, that a lot of people serialism. I'm I'm scandalized. I can't stay for this. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> get, I your, get your coat. Honey. <laughs> But I, uh, well, I, I never. <laughs> I never. I think that's the thing that's so like. Uh, w- what's really cool about this project, and I wrote all like all the names down just so I would, and like who they're with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the contributors to the record. You know, you have the Arcade Fire. Yeah, so a lot of yeah. the, a lot of the people on the, uh, not a lot, but some of the people on the record. There's that arcade arcade fire connection, mm-hmm. but there's also people who play with like Acme and Tim Byrne and Alarm Will Sound and Mark yeah. Rebeau and this you know mm-hmm. the drummers with Liturgy, um, and, yeah. and yeah, so right. like to me, it's really interesting because the original piece had this really cool relationship, and um, you know contentious relationship with the avant garde, and I think that looking at this project, like these are the people who are now kind of have one foot in the avant garde. Sure. And who are basically, I think, by virtue of a lot of things, but it being 2016 and the internet and uh, because um, it's like, because of like, they're standing on the shoulders of giants and like, Mm -hmm. it's totally Mm -hmm. 
um, a different thing to make tonal music now. Um, I think it's really it's a really interesting project now for these people to make, yeah, um, and and to reference the source material because of its relationship to tonality and the avant garde. There was a Steve Reich remix record or a couple of them a few years ago, and I remember thinking that is not interesting. <laughs> it's weird what it does to like how how ingrained it how is. do you feel yeah. about it well i mean I, I i i only heard a little bit of it yeah. and i remember thinking like that is not an it whoever thought of that that's just not a provocative <laughs> idea like steve reich is a remix like any like like i don't it's uh it just didn't seem like it seemed like kind of lame to me like yeah. uh kind of like uh um corny in a way mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, you want to hear Steve? You want to hear this echoing, like repeating music remixed, so it echoes and repeats more. <laughs> um, or you want to you want to you want to make the the connection the connection between Steve Reich and dance music more explicit? That's just right. not interesting to me. Right. Um, which is speaks to what you're saying about it being uh, like our ability to like in 2016 to not be scandalized by these things. Like one chord is like I'm down. Yeah, like you don't even have to explain it to me, or it's not even like something where I'm going, "Whoa, it's just one chord," (laughs) you know? Totally. You know, it's it's so hard to wrap your head around, uh, just how upsetting that would have been. Yeah, because it's so nice to listen to. Yeah, yeah. So, like for for you guys who make music, and I believe are both making new music and stuff, like as what does your like creative soul feel about like this being out here now? Hmm. Do you want, do you want more of this? Do you want people to like hearing me like, yes. I'm not, I feel like I'm not, uh, this is music. This music is be beyond me to have, like I, to have created like I it's something that feels yeah but, that, but that's you being you Chad you, you can you can create this <laughs> you thought that about and the word too I mean no but I I I I feel like uh I mean this is a life-changing for a lot of people like a life-changing yeah. you know like there are people Colin Stetson being one who like heard the original thing and, and just like yeah. chose a path in his life like that's I didn't know that before you told me that, and right. that's very interesting and um, like an interesting background on the record. Sure. In, fa- in fact, I would say it's the only PR angle I would ever I would personally be yeah want to advance. Like this is the record, you know, Colin Stetson, this freak who makes this amazing shit. This is this the is music. Why. This is this is what started him on that path. Like as a listener, as a fan, that's what I would galvanize me yeah. to go buy the record. Um, uh, I don't know what it's like to, uh, I don't have, when I'm making music, I don't, I don't have, uh, like a goal in the, in the, or in the sense of like, um, like I want to do something that is going to split time or, you know, (laughs) like this is like a huge thing. And I, I, I I don't, I don't, I don't have aspirations to, I'm just trying to find uh, something inside and express it. Yeah. Like I don't have a, I don't have grand kind of plans to. Right. Right. 
So I don't, I don't know how to uh, answer your question. Okay. This is what I'm trying to Louis, say. Louis, same. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the execution of this is like mind blowing. Like, yeah. um, and also the commitment to it is like, I find very moving. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I find it uh, like not only a commitment to maybe an underrepresented type of music among your fan base, because mm-hmm. it's not underrepresented. Like it's uh, of like the classical world. It's like very well yeah known right. but i think to people who really love arcade fire um and who like uh colin's work from from whatever uh that they may know him it's possible that this is underrepresented so i think that like yeah. the commitment um to that's this a good is, word i i really i it does feel like a um like a carrying the torch kind of thing yeah um and i think that that really overlaps really nicely with the way that um i think I think that there are a lot of uh, conversations that are happening in pop music now that are kind of taking a closer look at the idea of curation, mm-hmm. um, curation as creation and curation as a type of um, way of way of making art um, in a way that is more like generative than I think it maybe was previously mm-hmm. accepted as. And I see this as like an act of very like loving and devoted curation. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think that, like, I would a thousand percent love to see this. Like, if, uh, if yeah, that's yeah. see more of this. And and I and I think that, um, you know, regardless of the kind of narrative of like growing audiences or like opening people up to new things, mm-hmm. I think it shows like a reverence for not only just like the past and and for your education, but a kind of I think it shows a lot of love for the audience too. Like yeah. it's like I trust the audience. I admire the audience to like go on this thing with me. Um, I, I just I really like it. I it, love the word. I like your word commitment. I think that that's yeah. that's the that's probably the central appeal of Colin Stetson in general is this feeling like this dude is on a journey. You know, this dude is committed. Like there's like yeah, there's a sense of like. It's all anchored in real grain. It's all anchored in like yeah, um, in a real uh, feeling. I'm yeah. getting I'm getting a huge kick out of imagining the conversation between Colin Stetson and Mark Rubo about being because I didn't realize it was it was him on this. I I should have known. Oh, he's not. I should have known. He's not. Oh, he's this. not. On no, here. those are just okay. the people whom they've. That's uh, like those are the people okay. who they work with. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry, that wasn't yeah, no, no, clear. No, no. I meant to, I, I kept meaning to look up all the personnel and I think I did at one point and I, his name would have jumped out at me, but, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Mark Ravel. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's, that's about <laughs> it. Man. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> just total silence. That's, yeah. that's, that's rare here. <laughs> we, we've reached the end of the third movement folks. <laughs> Uh, intermission uh, into the doom metal, which Chad will be leaving for. <laughs> um, uh, gentlemen, uh, promote yourself. What, what, what do you guys got going on? Uh, I am my band Beauty Pill is playing a show at the Smithsonian Loose Center um, next Friday, uh, which is the twentieth, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, and uh, on the 22nd, which is two days later, in case you had trouble counting there, um, on Sunday, I'm hosting a, a Story Stereo, which is, a, um, which is a, a series, a performance series that I started a few years ago 
which involves a reading from an author, reading a, from their recent book, followed by uh, a band playing. It's like a hybrid um, reading right. and rock show kind of thing. And the poet or the writer gets to the experience of sort of reading in front of a rock audience, and the rock audience gets exposed mm. to. Uh, it's cool. It works. And um, we have uh, uh, Bill Beverly, um, uh, who has a new book called Dodgers, which is amazing. Um, I mean, it's it's getting all sorts of rave reviews. Uh, definitely encourage people to check it out. And the band Soccer Team. Yeah, is playing. Who I haven't uh, seen, and I, I really need to see them. Yeah, and and your friends in the uh, Caribbean. Yes, those are those are those are the highest on my list uh, for, to see this year so far. So, Louis, uh, you, you just um, uh, find me on Facebook and see what I'm up to. I'm not uh, playing shows later uh, in the middle of June, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's going to be around the DC area. Uh, but yeah, I'm working on a new record, and hopefully Very things nice. will be. In the world soon. Cool. Uh, also, I don't know. I'm not sure when this is going to come out. Uh, I mean, we are going to be promoting the, the Blues Unplugged shows and all that stuff. Uh, but we did find out um, somebody that we've done work with, and you've both of you guys have, have sort of worked with. Uh, Marcus Moore is leaving. I don't, I don't know. Yes. I don't know what we're going to do without him. It's a drag. It's a real drag. It is. Just literally in the past few months, he's been coming down here, and it's just he's the real thing. He really yeah. is. So, uh, Bandcamp, you are lucky. Yes. <laughs> and New York, you are very lucky. And we will miss Marcus. So, uh, yes. Thank you, thank you, Jennifer, for coming down. Thank you. Yeah, and, thank you. Uh, hopefully, we'll do it again sometime. Uh, Chad Clark and Louis Weeks. Thanks again to them uh, for coming down to talk about uh, this exceptional album. Um, again, I'm, you know, I, I guess this is what we're doing now, uh, putting together stuff like this. Uh, I've had a lot of good times in this basement. We've had a lot of good talks, uh, m- several of them with Chad and Louis independently, and um, and uh, this was this was just one of my one of my favorites. We were actually thinking about holding this to uh, till the 200th episode. But uh, it was it was too good to keep in. Um, hopefully you guys dug it. Uh, maybe uh, m- maybe you aren't familiar with Colin Stetson. Uh, maybe you don't listen to classical music or something. And maybe this will inspire you. Maybe like, hey, those guys seem to uh, think that this is a thing worth paying attention to. It absolutely is. Uh, so there's going to be links in the show notes to get to that. Links to get to uh, all of Louis's various uh, websites and social medias and music. Uh, same thing goes for Chad and Beauty Pill. 
Uh, you heard Chad mention Beauty Pills got a thing coming up on the 20th, the American uh, History Museum, here in Washington, D.C. That is the uh, Loose Unplug. Uh, that's going to be fantastic. A little different arrangement of Beauty Pill. It's also got Story Stereo coming up on the 22nd. I'm sort of excited to check that out. Uh, it's a nice little melding, a, a multimedia uh, modal melding thing where you've got some songs, you got some uh, readings out at uh, Bus Boys and Poets in Tacoma Park, which, you know, if you're in D.C. and you haven't been up there, it, it's it's a little bit of a hippie haven. It's sort of nice. Uh, pretty heady. Uh, but that's a, that's a pretty heady idea, actually, that he had. Uh, so glad they're doing that. Uh, thanks again to them for coming down. Uh, we are going to be back in a few short days. And, you know, I usually don't sort of toot our horn at this, but uh, coming up on Monday, uh, you're going to hear us t- sitting down talking to Eric Johnson from Fruit Bats, uh, which is uh, <laughs> maybe the point of this podcast. Uh, we were all big Fruit Bats fans and uh, have been so over the years. He is back with a new album under the name Fruit Bats called Absolute Loser, which is exquisite. Uh, we're going to review that a little later on uh, in the spring and summer. Uh, they're playing a show here at the Rock and Roll Hotel on the 14th, on this Saturday, uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday. And um, they're going to come by and uh, talk about it. Talk about the new live band, talk about the new album, talk about the old albums. I don't know, we'll talk about everything. We'll see. It's going to be awesome. I'm beyond stoked for that. Uh, and then uh, on Thursday next week, Radiohead. Yeah, we, we were going to be recording it right now. And... Uh, I said, hey guys, let's sit with it. Let's take our time. Uh, it is, I'm not going to say whether or not I love it or not, or just have disdain for it, but I think it is something that needs to seep in and, and you spend a little time with it and uh, get it into your system, as it will, as it were. And um, so that's what we're going to do. So we're going to wait a little while on that. You know, let it stew. You know, get familiar with it, and then we're going to talk about it. So, uh, so next week's going to be awesome. Um, as usual, if you like what you heard just now, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can leave a comment. Like, you can rate us. You know, uh, you, can, you can leave a comment that says, hey, why don't you get Chad and Louie on more? Or, hey, why don't Chad and Louie have their own podcast? And, uh, you know, uh, that good good question. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, lots of podcatchers and stuff. We're just everywhere. Um and, uh, you know, so get out and see some live music. Let us know what you think. Uh, until next week, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. We'll talk to you <laughs> <laughs> Kenobi!